faith and, and living water, uh, what we discovered was that the, um, the bottleneck is actually our internet connection here in the sanctuary. So uh, we're going to do our very best to stay online with you. And so we hope you're, you're still there with us on Facebook Live. And also uh, we're streaming now to our website. We're going to hear a word from the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. It is our custom uh, to stand in honor of the gospel lesson, so if you're at home, I would invite you to, to stand as we hear the gospel lesson read. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not it will return to you. Remain in the same house eating and drinking whatever they provide for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house and whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is God's word for us. Let us hear this word of God together. Good morning, friends. Every day, my watch and my phone have an alarm on them that tell me to stop and pray. And this scripture that we're using today is the one that reminds us of how important it is for us to pray for the workers of the harvest. Not just as pastors, but even as my time as a church planter, we recognize that the work is so huge and the laborers are so few. It also reminds us as pastors that we are not expected to do it all alone. That there are plenty of people out there that we should and could invite to join us in this valuable work. Jesus says there is plenty to do and we need all the hands and the hearts that we can find to serve. But what is so wonderful about the text is that Jesus doesn't expect anyone to do it alone. If you notice that the chosen 70 are paired up to face the world and do the work. Jesus has already sent out the disciples in chapter 9 and has uh, sent them into the world first. And now he's sending out people like you and I. People who follow, people who are looking for a life of meaning and purpose. He is asking them to represent him by going first into the community and where he is going to be traveling. He sends them out to do this work and to represent him in the world. Last night when I was thinking about this morning, it reminded me of a story from my family folklore. You know how families have those stories that they tell every time they get together over and over again and they get bigger and bigger. 
So my grandmother and my aunts and uncles used to tell this story about how my grandmother had a distant relative who was very affluent and had a very large, stately, kind of imposing home. And they were invited to come and have a meal with this extended relative. So my grandmother, who has four children, decides that she is not going to be embarrassed by these children over this meal. And so she spends a month laying out all of the silverware, the five forks, and the extra everything. And then she teaches her children at every meal for a month, preparing them for when they are going to go and represent her and her family. And so my aunts and uncles and my mom talk about how grueling it was and how much they hated it. And they get to the house and <laughs> the family's own children didn't use manners or any of those forks or anything. And so it was one of these things where she knew how important it was that her a reflection of her family. So she did all this work and she prepared them on how to behave and what to do and how to be a good guest. And so that makes me think of this story because Jesus is sending out the 70 and he is saying, represent me. And so he wants to give these very, very clear instructions on what does it mean to represent him. So he gives these instructions. In verse 3, he says, go like lambs sent into the midst of wolves. Wow. This is scary, right? Right out of the gate, Jesus is like, I know that you're going to be afraid, that this is scary work to go and represent me, right? You can almost hear him say, don't get eaten alive out there, right? You're like lambs going to the wolves. But we are asked to invite others. We are asked to give witness to the good news. And Jesus's metaphoric language of the lambs and the wolves shows us that he knows how hard this is, that we feel vulnerable and we feel afraid. But we are sent anyway. We are bound to each other with this imperative to love God and love one another. There is strength in our connection to each other and to God. We recognize that we all have different gifts and passions. If you have not figured that out or done a spiritual inventory, I hope you will let us help you find your passion and your path to serve. The second thing he tells them in verse 4 is don't take anything with you, but trust that God will provide. I have to say this is a hard one. I'm a planner and I like to, if I go hiking, I don't even go without a just-in-case bag. And in my just-in-case bag, I have a bottle of water and some first aid supplies and a roll of toilet paper. I'm glad I remembered that that was there. <laughs> but Jesus tells them to rely on the hospitality of strangers. And in the uh, Jewish culture, this was common. It was an expectation that if a stranger came to your door, that you would invite them in. I was trying to think of a way that we recognize this. And I thought of when we host our family promise families, that they are trusting us, complete strangers, to take care of them, to uh, provide for them in a strange place and with food that will nourish them and all of those things. The reality is it's much easier to be a host 
than it is to be a guest. And so Jesus invites us to trust that God will provide. And then in verses 5 and 6, he says, Proclaim peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in the peace, it will rest on them. And if they reject it, it will come back to you. That's a no-lose scenario there. I find it fascinating that Jesus instructs them to proclaim peace. We know that in times of strife and discontent that people are instructed to put their hands up and say, I come in peace. Peace to this house and church we say, peace be with you. In a world that is filled with different military factions and authorities, for Jesus to send them out declaring peace would be significant, not only for their safety, but as they represent him. So if you don't remember anything else that I say today or anything else about this service, I want you to remember this peace. Peace be with you. Represent Jesus by offering peace. Can you imagine what a different world we would live in if every person who claims to be a Christian or a Jesus follower would live their life of peace instead of conflict? When it's so much easier to point fingers and blame others in our lives, in our social media, in our churches even. And so that I want to leave you with, don't forget this if you do the rest of it. It could be life-changing if we chose peace. And so finally, his instructions in verses 7 through 9 is what my grandmother was teaching. How to be a good guest. I love because it's so basic. He's saying things like, eat the food that is put before you, right? We still teach this to our children today. He says, don't go jumping from house to house looking for something better. He gives them the instruction to heal the sick, which of course we can't do, but they could. And they are to say, the kingdom of God has come near for you. This makes me think of wisdom that I got from my church planting coach. And she said to me that every single interaction that I have with another person should end with my ability to invite them to church. And that sounds easy when it's something that is fun or nice, but it's harder when I'm calling to complain about something or a delivery didn't happen or I'm having my car worked on. But can you imagine if every interaction we had ended with us saying, I invite you to join me. This is hard, but Jesus tells them that this Seeing each other and treating each other with grace. Grace is love and forgiveness. That we offer those things to those people that we come to encounter. And so let me review. Jesus is setting very clear expectations of those he sends out to represent him. He says, be brave, trust, offer peace, and treat others with grace. Dr. Rodney Stark, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, talked about how could a small Jesus movement become the dominant religion. He tells stories about in the first and then again in the second centuries, there was actually a plague. And people noticed how Christians loved each other and cared for others in the midst of the epidemic. 
Christian values of love and charity had from the beginning been translated into the norms of social service and serving the community. So when pagans saw how Christians loved their neighbors and each other, their witness inspired them to want to be part of that community. That's how they grew the witness of their life and their love. Right now, we are in a place that we have never been before. We are deeply connected to people, but we have barriers that keep us very separated. In our care for each other, we are asked to be distant, even vigilant. We are being asked to make sacrifices. We are literally learning a whole new way to live that involves being careful with not only our own health and welfare, but for other people we may never meet. We feel vulnerable and uncertain. But haven't we always been vulnerable? So how do we manage life in this uncertainty? Again, Jesus says, be brave, trust, offer peace, and live in grace. This is how we love one another. Psalm 23 has been in my mind and on my lips all week long. And so I want to have Pastor Sharla read that for you. Friends, you know these words. They're familiar because they have lived in our lives together throughout many different experiences. And so hear these words of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. James Lamberg points out that in the original Hebrew of Psalm 23, there are exactly 26 words before the statement, you are with me, and 26 words after. Perhaps the poet is boldly declaring that God being with us is the very center of our lives. Folks, we need to breathe deep. We are struggling. We are feeling isolated. Our lives have been disrupted in a way that we have never experienced before. But God is with us. We are not alone. The good news, every time Pastor Sharla and I meet and gather and write on the whiteboard for what the sermon will be next, we always say, what is the good news? And that is this. God is with us. Jesus was called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. John Wesley's dying words were the best of all, God is with us. And this beautiful gift of being with changes everything for us. 
It allows us to find a way to represent even when it seems nearly impossible. A friend of mine, a colleague, sent a BBC radio presentation to me yesterday that was so beautiful. And there were certain pieces that I thought I would share with you. Talked about in Wuhan, China, after years of factory noises that are shut down now, you can hear the birds. And the sky that is typically filled with dust and smog is clear and blue and beautiful. In Assisi, in Italy, people are opening their windows and playing music and singing into the courtyards and the streets so those who are alone can feel the love of their neighbor. In the west of Ireland, there's a hotel that decided to keep making food and delivering meals to those who were housebound. All over the world, there are mosques and churches and synagogues who are sheltering the homeless, making room for the sick. And what really matters in all of those places, in all of these ways, is love. When we get to Easter next year, what witness would we be proud of in the midst of this? Who do we want people to say that we were? I hope, I pray, that they were, will say that we were people who were brave, who trusted God, who proclaimed peace to everyone, and treated people with grace. This is how we love one another. Amen.